Well, good morning, church family. I hope you are having a wonderful Sunday morning. Um, Bloomington was seven, 73 degrees yesterday, and I'm fine with that for June. If, if we can email our Congress person and see if we can get that going. That was phenomenal. Um, I absolutely love that kind of weather. I don't know about you, but I find myself in 73 degree weather working in my garage or hanging out uh, some project around my house. And I was realizing the other day, uh, looking around my garage, uh, I have, I have uh, too many extension cords. Anybody else have just, uh, for some reason, the amount of extension cords, they're either like multiplying like triples or spontaneous multiplication. Um, I don't know why, but it seems like I have enough extension cords to wrap around my house multiple times, you know, just in case if you ever run into that scenario. But I, I'm a fan. I, it's, it's a simple tool. It is easy. It's cheap. Um, and it, to be honest, it brings purpose to something that needs electricity that's not, uh, you know, close to an outlet. In the muffler house, uh, I use extension cords, uh, like in my driveway to blow off. We have pine trees, which is a, a positive negative, mainly just negative. Um, and so there's pine, leaf, pine needles everywhere, right? Um, and uh, I use a leaf blower to get rid of all the pine needles out of my driveway or my Jeep, you know, without the top, you just lift it up there and you know, all the pine needles fly out. It's phenomenal. And in our backyard, we have a bunch of little girls and we like to do dance parties and sometimes uh, camping. So, you know, our version of camping is like, you know, you go to bed at, you know, 9.30 at night and you're back in the house at two o'clock in the morning. But we have extension cords for like the iPad and fans and like, you know, cappuccino, just in case, whatever. So we use extension cords all the time, and they're just mass quantities of extension cords at the Buffalo's house. I don't know where they're coming from. If I've borrowed one, it's mine now, so bummer for you. Anyway, <laughs> but as I'm thinking of a sermon illustration, I'm a fan of the extension cord because the extension cord itself has no power. It is just the go-between, between the, the actual electricity coming out of whatever is coming from to the device that was created and destined to need electricity, okay? Without an extension cord, this lamp does not work. You'd have to move the lamp. You'd have to physically rearrange the location of the lamp. But with an extension cord, you bring the power to the object, and through my thinking and coming up and talking about Andrew today, I thought, man, you know what? Andrew is this phenomenal connector for people to be connected with Jesus Christ. He, like this silly extension cord, brought people to Jesus. He didn't have the power. We don't have the power. But because of the ability that he had to connect people to Jesus Christ well, they had the light and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. I see a lot of scripture that's full of men and women that are connected, have connected others with God. In my own life, I can look around and I've got some connectors um, in my daily walk. Right now, um, I have a teammate, uh, Cheryl Clark. I don't know if you know Cheryl Clark or not. She is the perfect kind of crazy. She has phenomenal ideas. She is nothing but like a shotgun of, of ideas. Some of them really good. Anyway, she's great at connecting <laughs> She's great at connecting people no matter where she's at. If she's at the, the church office, if she's at the poorhouse, you can see her sitting down and having a great conversation and connecting people to Jesus or connecting people to a small group or connecting people to a study, connecting people to a different circle so that way they are a part of the family of God so they feel welcome and love. To be honest, she walks around the church all day long. It's like, oh, I'm a connector. I'm a connector. And that's perfect for her. That's kind of her spiritual gift. She sees a need and she kind of forcefully without your permission, just puts them together, and it's phenomenal. I love it. Here's another connector from my past. 
Danny Wolford, a long time ago, uh, was a basketball coach at St. Louis Christian College. And I showed up, and I've shared this story before, but it's phenomenal, that a non-Christian went to a Bible college to play basketball. As a basketball coach, he could have looked at me and said, listen, you are nothing but drama. You are nothing but an absolute train wreck of an 18 and 19-year-old. You bring us more harm than good. He could have easily said that, but you know what he said? Yeah, come on. We'll make you understand about Jesus. He connected. He connected me to Jesus Christ through basketball. He was a guy that said, it doesn't matter if you are fringe, that you really don't belong here. You don't act like a Christian. You don't speak like a Christian. I didn't dress like a Christian. He said, you know what? I'm going to take the risk, and I'm going to connect you with Jesus Christ. And the last one um, is a great guy that I know named Luke. Luke is in elementary school, and he is going to tell you about faith in Jesus Christ, again, willingly or not. He is going to have one of those great conversations with you. Matter of fact, uh, I texted his mom last night. I'm like, hey, man, can I bring up Luke? He's such a great example of a connector. And she's like, ha-ha, yeah, that's great. That's funny. He's actually bringing a friend to church tomorrow morning. And I'm like, of course he is. He's a connector. He's a great dude. Elementary student that someday when I grow up, I want to be just like. Because he can easily have a conversation of, about faith in Jesus Christ. I love it. He's a great, I wouldn't even call him a kid, a great young, young man. <laughs> He's a great guy. Now this, this idea of connecting people, we can use an insider language in church called evangelism. And I know anytime anybody says evangelism in church, people kind of shrink back and like, oh, they're going to expect me to tell people about Jesus on the street corner. Please don't. Just stop. That's not effective. I think you're just scaring people away at this point, right? Um, what I am saying, though, is I feel like there is this idea that we've been called to through Scripture. This evangelism is to share our faith story in Jesus Christ. Again, we do not have the power, but we have the opportunity to connect people that so desperately need Jesus to Jesus. So evangelism, not one of those things that we love talking about, not one of those things that we look at and say, woohoo, let's get this done. It's never an awkward conversation about faith, right? It kind of is. Um, so here are some things that concern me. Here's some things that I look at and say, you know, we kind of shy away from this idea of evangelism. And when I say these few things, I am not pointing a finger at you. Basically, I'm, I'm kind of searching my own heart and saying these are some of the, the cancer in my heart that is keeping me from really having great faith story conversations with other people. But maybe you can relate to a few of them. Number one, I feel like sometimes, Christians, we have a lack of urgency. I'm just going to call it 2,000 years ago Christ died on the cross. Sometimes, just sometimes, we might have a lack of urgency thinking, well, you know what? Our life is going to come and go, and Jesus isn't going to return. We struggle with this idea. I struggle with this idea that Jesus can come back at any second, and that draws a concrete line in the sand of eternity. Those who are a part of family, his family, connected through Jesus Christ, and those who are outsiders. And to be honest, it's difficult to convince somebody of a flood if it's a sunny day outside. If you know there's a hurricane coming, if you've got the app, if you've got whatever technology says, hey man, storm is coming and it's going to destroy this place, we've got to get out of here, it's difficult to convince people when they look up into the sky and say, well, no, there's birds chirping, it's, it's, it's fine. Urgency, I feel like, is one of those things that we look at in evangelism and say, eh, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. The next one is fear of rejection, not necessarily persecution. Now, I will say this. It is phenomenal that we have the opportunity to live in a country that gives us the freedom to worship Jesus Christ. We have a great obligation in this free country to worship. We can. Nobody's at the door with guns writing your names down. Nobody's looking at your family and saying, 
Okay, well, they're definitely not moving up in the ladder because of their faith. No, there are places and people around the world right this very second that are meeting in secret basement locations, secret places where if they are found out because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they lose a job. They lose their families. They might lose their head. We don't have that. We have the fear of maybe losing a friend. We have the fear of rejection, and I'm not trying to be mean because no human being loves rejection. Nobody stands up and says, please push me away. My heart can take it. But in all honesty, we don't fear persecution. We fear rejection. And I think another reason we don't share our story is because we don't want to lose our friends. We don't want to lose an opportunity to be good neighbors with other people. The next one is scarcity of biblical understanding. Now, we're a part of the restoration movement. We are non-denominational, and we stand maybe a little pridefully sometimes, on the word of God that says, listen, the word of God teaches us, it tells us, and we do it. We don't have some really cool guy in a fancy hat telling us what to do. There are not extra uh, books uh, of literature that we need to look at and ascribe to. Matter of fact, there's not even a, a dress code. It's phenomenal. We have the freedom to do that, right? But in all honesty, all throughout scripture, we are called to share this great news of Jesus Christ with other people. And sometimes we just take for granted that we are biblically minded, but our feet have a hard time catching up with our heads when it comes to knowledge. And the last one, and this is the one that, it really just kind of hurts my heart because I'm, I'm in this camp sometimes. I feel like sometimes evangelism in our culture is rarity because of the absence of compassion for others. We you and I have found ourselves in a position that says we need to be very defensive of who we are and what we have and the influence we have and the other people that might take some of that away or threaten us in that, we kind of push to the side. You know what, our compassion kind of maybe ends depending on where your circle is. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your extended family, but there is a point in time where there are some people out there and they don't, they just don't deserve it. We just don't have the compassion for other people to share this amazing news about Jesus Christ. Now, we are continuing our series, uh, the summer series, Love Your Neighbor. And to be honest, this series all throughout the summer is talking about how do we love our neighbor well. Being polite and hospitable is great, but I'm not going to be polite and hospitable if my neighbor's house is on fire. I'm going to call 911. I'm going to run over there, bang on the door, and try to do something about it. I'm not a fire person, fire person, fireman, firewoman, fire, anyway, I'm not first, fire what? Firefighter, huh? All right, anyway, I'm not one of those, but at least it's my duty to love them well, to say, hey, listen, something's going on, something's going wrong. We have this obligation to love our neighbors well. We're not called to like our neighbors. We're not called to um, passionately put them at a distance and a gate around them and say, hey, don't talk to me because I don't like your dog, neighbors. We are called to love, and love means to actively pursue what's best for them regardless for us. So sometimes love means sacrifice for ourselves for other people. If you've got kids, if you have family, I mean, if you have a dog, you know what love is. Sometimes you sacrifice your life, your comfort, your security, your finances so that the other person can have what they need and what they truly need. So this summer series is all about learning and talking about how do we love our neighbor well. So 
This morning, we're going to be looking at Andrew. Andrew is a disciple of Christ that, to be honest, we don't know that much of. Um, besides the lists in Scripture of the, uh, of the apostles of the disciples, Andrew really only shows up in Scripture about four times. And each time, there's a unique thing that we see in Andrew. Andrew... Um, one of the earliest disciples of Christ was a connector. He loved to help people connect to Jesus Christ. Again, he knew he didn't have the power, but he knew how he could plug other people into Jesus Christ. Um, Andrew and his more famous brother, Peter, were fishermen by trade. So you've probably heard of Peter many times throughout scripture. If you've read the Bible, if you've been to church, you've heard about Peter. I'm, I'm making an assumption, and it's hard to do, but I can, you know, kind of weed through some of it. I'm assuming that Peter is the youngest child because it's Peter. Have you heard about Peter? Loud mouth, loves attention, always kind of does dumb things. Sounds like a youngest kid, right? If you're the youngest, you're loved. You know it. I know it. So Andrew, older brother, probably looked at Peter and like, oh my goodness. Matter of fact, most of the time that Andrew's name comes up in scripture, it's always, well, you know, Peter's brother, Andrew. Isn't that so sad? Isn't that a bummer? We're going to read through that. We're going to get through that in just a second. Um, so the oral tradition states that uh, Andrew was one of the first disciples of Christ. He was a missionary to Asia Minor, uh, modern day Turkey, Syria, Yemen, Iraq, and also says he was crucified upside down um, because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. Okay, so these are oral traditions. This is probably more hearsay than fact, so I'm going to lean into scripture more than oral traditions, but I really do believe he was uh, very famous at connecting people to Jesus. And so we're going to look at this in John chapter uh, 1, and we're going to kind of go through these four different places where scripture talks about Andrew and how he's a connector. All right, so if you want to open your Bibles, John 1, if, uh, if, if it's, um, yeah, it'll be on the screen if you'd like, it'd be fine. So John 1, 35 through 40 says this. The next day, John the Baptist was uh, there again with two of his disciples. Let me, let me give you a little context. John the Baptist, um, his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. John was in the wilderness pointing out to the Israelites, hey, listen, we have gone off course and we need a savior, period. Now, in that time, people came from the cities, from the countryside, and followed John around, and basically they were, uh, John was their um, rabbi, was their teacher, was their mentor, was their spiritual advisor. And so what we're going to see is there's going to be followers of John the Baptist that have an encounter with Jesus, and something very crazy happens. When he saw Jesus passing uh, by, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the, uh, one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So right away, we see Andrew is a follower of John the Baptist. He's a fisherman. He's probably not well-educated. Um, he had a, a difficult job because as a fisherman, either you're successful or you go hungry. So he is chasing after John the Baptist and asking hard questions of like, hey, what, what is this? How do I become a part of this new, uh, this new kingdom? How do we please God? And John the Baptist says, hey, look, there's Jesus. There's the Messiah. I, I love John the Baptist. He's one of my heroes in scripture because he is not a normal human being. He had all these people around him that followed him. And what would a normal man do? Oh, keep my flock together. I want to keep my popularity. But he immediately says, no, I need to be less because Jesus needs to be more. 
This is the Messiah. This is the man you should follow. This is the man with the answers. And I love how John the Baptist kind of even pushed his own people away. And Andrew was one of these early uh, followers of Christ. And he followed Jesus and said, hey, you know, what's going on here? How do I, how do I learn? How, what, are you, what are you offering? What is this crazy thing about this kingdom uh, and, and new life? So we learn that poor Andrew, the son or uh, brother of, of Peter, first got connected with Jesus through John the Baptist. Um, he wasn't a theologian. He was kind of just a regular guy like us. But the essence of Christianity can be summed up into three words. It's to follow Jesus. Christianity is all about following Jesus. It's, it's not about a denomination. It's not about a preacher that you prefer, or a worship style. It's following Jesus Christ. What broke his heart should break our hearts. How he loved people is how we should love people. How he looked at people around him and interacted with them is something that we should emulate, something that we should be about. So Andrew, first of all, says this is important. And the next thing he does is he runs and tells his brother, John 1, 41 through 42 says this. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, uh, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. The very first thing wasn't, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you, are you pro-government? Are you, are you pro-Caesar? I mean, what's going on here? Like, like well, I need to know uh, what, what's happening here. Do I need to jump through what hoop? There wasn't like a, a Scantron test, Right. He looked at Jesus and said, yes, I realize you're the Messiah. And the first thing he does, the first reaction is, I have something so great that I have found I have to share it with my brother. Even my younger brother, who's kind of a goober sometimes, right? He runs and tells Peter, Peter, come with me. And he drags Peter to Jesus. He's a connector. He says, there's something so important. I've got to connect you to the power and grace and love that God has given us through this Messiah. He didn't have the power, but he connected Peter to it. Peter was his brother, business partner. There was trust between the two, and family is a very difficult place to share your faith in Jesus. I would say it's probably one of the hardest places because you're, you're known. I mean, I've got mom, I've got sister, I've got a lot of mufflers in my life that look at Jesus and say, meh, pass. And anytime I try to have a reasonable conversation, I do. I feel like they look at me and they kind of pat me on the head as the, the young little boy they once knew, the youngest child, like, oh, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, they just kind of treat me that way. And it, and it happens. But Peter, or uh, Andrew's first reaction is, I have something so amazing, I have to share it with my brother. And Peter comes along with him. Um, it can be said that uh, since Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus, in a sense, he became the first Christian evangelist. Um, evangelism starts in the heart with a sense of urgency. He didn't spend any time uh, dilly-dallying. He didn't look around and say, I wonder if this is really true. He just ran right to Peter and said, hey, you need to see this. The lesser of the brothers connected, the lesser known brother connected Peter to Jesus. Can you imagine the chain effect that changes church history? Since we don't know much about Andrew, Andrew, Andrew only has about two more verses we're going to go through in just a second, but we know so much about Peter in the early church. Peter really kind of was like the foundation of the early church and kept spreading through Jerusalem. Can you imagine if Andrew took this great knowledge of Jesus and went, wow, I found the Messiah. Oh, but my little brother is kind of a punk, so I don't want to tell him about it. He doesn't really deserve it. I mean, I remember that one time he gave me a wet willy and it, man, it didn't go well, right? There are times when we look at our family and say, I don't know if you deserve Jesus. I don't know if I should really share Jesus with you, but he didn't. And history is forever changed. The third time we see Andrew is John 12, uh, 20 through 20, 
uh, two, and let me give you a little background before we jump into that. Jesus is teaching uh, a great multitude of people. They found themselves late in the day and they're getting hangry. Anybody hangry? Like the hungry angry, right? And so uh, one of the disciples uh, one of the disciples, Philip, tells Jesus basically, hey, it would take eight months to feed these 5,000 to 10,000 people. It would take about eight months of wages to feed this. What are we going to do? And the disciples were like, oh, you're going to be kidding me. And here's what happens. John 6, 8 through 10. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, again, poor guy, can't even get past that, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So it's not like Andrew knew it was going to happen. He still had questions, but what he did is he connected the heart of a child. The heart of a child that culturally, even today, we would look at a small child with like a lunchbox and say, you're obviously not needed here. Shoo, get out of here. Go away, right? Can you imagine a small child walking up to our president and being like, um, I, got a, I got a question about crayons. No, there'd be security that would push this person away. Jesus was in that role where there, he was such a, um, a commodity that people wanted to spend time with him and ask him questions. The other disciples were pushing children away. And Andrew says, you know what? I know he's kind of fringe of our society. I know he probably has a bad plan. I'm going to connect him to Jesus anyway. He took the heart of a small boy. Again, nobody knew what was going to happen. Brought him to Jesus, and Jesus does something miraculous, literally miraculous. He feeds five to 10,000 people with a couple fish sticks and a dinner roll. And there's so much left over. They were collecting basketfuls and basketfuls. And this miracle was not just for food. It was to point the way that Jesus had the authority over creation. That people looked at Jesus not as a rabbi, not as a teacher, not as a moral person, but God in flesh. And because of Andrew was willing to be that connector, even to a small kid to Jesus, we have this story. It's phenomenal. The last time we see Andrew in scripture um, is John 12, 20 through 22. Um, let me give you a little context. It's a, it's a feast of Passover in Jerusalem. Lots of people are flooding the cities, uh, the city from a lot of different areas, a lot of foreigners, a lot of uh, nationals, just everywhere you can imagine this is a big deal. John 12, 20, 22 says this. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, would you like, uh, we would like to see Jesus. Philip <laughs> went to Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn, told Jesus. All right, again, we see in this little piece of scripture the heart of Andrew. These Greek, Hellenized uh, Greeks come to Andrew because Andrew and uh, Philip probably had the Greekiest names. I don't know if that's even true, but the Greek-ish names, right? Um, the Greeks had different, you know, style, haircuts, clothes, uh, verbiage, uh, accents. They were foreigners in this land. And so when they saw uh, Philip and Andrew, they looked at those two and said, well, they, they kind of look like us. Maybe we can connect with them. Philip kind of throws his hands up in the air and says, uh, I'm not 100% sure what to do with this, but I know Andrew. I'm going to lean on Andrew because Andrew is a connector of people. It would have been so much easier for Andrew to look at these outsiders, to look at these foreigners that didn't belong in their land and say, we don't got time for you. Jesus don't have time for you. We're trying to get some stuff. This is the Passover. We need foreigners in our land. Get out of here. You have different skin color. You have different clothes. You have different cultures. You have different traditions. You're not worth it. But what did Andrew do? 
He looked at the fringe of society and said, you know what? It is my responsibility to connect people to Jesus Christ. Regardless of where they're from, who they are, what they speak, regardless. And I love the example Andrew sets for us today, church. We look at that and we see these see these foreigners who just wanted an audience with Jesus. And here they were accepted in because they were worthwhile. They were worth it. Andrew was a fisher of men. He is a great example of someone that loved his neighbor well. He did not judge his neighbor based on anything but besides you are worthy to be connected to Jesus Christ. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. The greatest gift you can give your neighbor is a connection to Jesus Christ. The love, the best thing that we can do to love our neighbor is to connect them with Jesus Christ. And we see here with Andrew that he loved connecting everyone. His, his younger brother, who maybe he had issues with, maybe we have some issues with our younger brothers, from this boy, again, who really, an eight-year-old, what are they going to bring to the conversation? And these foreigners, again, fringe people. He looked at these people and said, I'm going to connect. It is my opinion that the church should be on the cutting edge of loving well those who are on the fringe of society. Let me say it again. It is my opinion that the church should be on the cutting edge of loving, the, uh, loving well the people on the fringe of our society. I don't care if it's youth culture and you look at them and say they dress weird, they act weird, they're dating their own uh, gender. I don't care if they're fringe of society. Christians, we need to be the example of love and compassion. We need to be the example of chasing after people that need Jesus Christ. We need to be the example of connectors regardless of who these people are. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter documentation, legal or illegal. We need to be the shining example of love for Jesus Christ. I could... Okay, so some of this is just maybe my heart is broken because I've got family that is outside of Christ looking at a conservative evangelical minister and I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that our church has reacted so poorly to human beings. I'm, re- I'm, I'm embarrassed. But here's the great news. I think we can do better. I don't care what political f- side you're on. This is a love issue. This is not a Democrat-Republican issue. This is a Jesus issue. We need to love our neighbors well, period. Guys, we need to be reminded that Jesus Christ... I'm not going to say that. Don't say that. I don't get fired. Anyway, um, (laughs) you, (laughs) uh, the the, the foreigners, minorities, immigrants. Okay, fun stuff. Here we go. Um, So as a church, I feel like we need to be on the cutting edge of loving people well. And that's this summer series is all about. It's not just being polite to society, but addressing the issues that will bring them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. As the example we find in Andrew 
as a connector. I feel like you and I, Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, the church in Northern America, the church in the world has the responsibility to follow after scripture and see that Jesus loved everyone. He loved the robber. He loved um, the woman at the well. He loved the Samaritan. He loved the lawbreaker. He loved the divorced. He loved the broken. He loved the murderer. We should not put walls and levels of discomfort and distrust being between people and Jesus Christ. We can do better. We can be great examples of the love that Jesus Christ has for us, and we can help connect them to an all-powerful, loving Father through Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? A couple ideas, both, again, I'm not pointing a finger at you, I'm, I'm looking at me and I'm just retching this up, so I apologize. And number one, I feel like we need to invite outsiders into a relationship, not a religion. This is not a denomination. This is not a church. This isn't a worship style or a preaching style. This is a Jesus thing. This is a, a spiritual health where there was disaster and death. We have the opportunity to invite people into a faith story. Your neighbors loving them well sometimes is just sharing your faith story. And if you've got a different story than your neighbor, phenomenal. That's great. It doesn't have to be the same story. Can you imagine how boring it would be? Anybody else go to a Bible college that's not a Christian? Nope, good, sweet, all right. So you've got that one, right? Put that in your back pocket. Here we go. We can love our neighbors well through our story of faith. I was this. God took me up, dusted me off, and is starting to work on my heart so I can be more like Jesus Christ, and now I find myself here. That is my faith story. Come up with a 30 seconds to a 90 second, just preemptive, hey, I've got a story to tell you, and see where it goes. Yeah, you might lose some reputation, or they might come to Christ someday. And number two, I am proud of our congregation that we have stood on concrete feet that says, we are about one life. This was not just a sermon series. This was not just a, oh, that's kind of a fun thing to do in the fall a couple years ago. We are committed to influencing people with respect and love. Not looking to make a project out of anyone, but loving the person. Influencing on purpose for Jesus Christ. To invest in somebody, and that's love. Remember, love sometimes is painful. Love is risk. And when we risk for other people, they understand where that love comes from. They understand where that compassion comes from. So my encouragement to you guys is not only to have conversations about faith, leave the church out of it. Talk about Jesus. And the second one is intentionally find someone in your life to love well and to pray for them. Take them out to coffee. Stand there and be their friend when maybe nobody else will be. Church, we can do this. We can be better at this. We can be on the cutting edge of showing compassion and love to a society that loves to cut people at their knees and push them away. We can do this through the power of Jesus Christ. So this last quote, and then we'll be done. Uh, church historian William Temple said this about Andrew telling Peter and, inf and, and bringing him to Christ. Okay, this is Church Historian Williams says, perhaps as great a service to the church has ever any man did. Again, Andrew could have looked at his little brother and said, nah, pass. But he didn't. He looked through the mess and saw the value of someone he loved, trusted, and invested in and brought him to Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope we, this congregation, could be phenomenal connectors. It doesn't matter if your spiritual gift is evangelism or not. We are called to invest and to love our neighbor well. 
Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.